Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. Before we get into the latest Texans and Astros, just a quick reminder, I had a conversation with Cardinals insider and ex-NFL tight end Ed Smith. Look for that and also look for my conversation with Rockets insider and Red Nation hoops expert Salman Ali. The hottest team in the NBA is the Rockets, so you don't want to miss either of those shows. But, Sean, let's start with something super positive. And according to ESPN's Football Power Index, the Texans have a 58.4% chance to make the playoffs after having just a 15% chance to start the season. How about that? It's pretty good, man. Um, I'd be curious to know if that guy that won $5.5 million in Florida that hit that four-leg parlay this past weekend has any money on the Texans. <laughs> you know, if he put some money down preseason to uh, maybe win the division or whatever the case may be, hey, right now, they're in, you know. Stop the season. They got that, uh, you know, final wild card spot sewed up in the AFC right now. So it's looking pretty good. Still a lot of football left to be played. The guy that they have leading the charge is, in my mind, one of, if not the favorite to get MVP in C.J. Stroud right now. I mean, what he's doing. So health matters. Productivity matters. And right now the Texans have shown the propensity to game in and game out, making necessary adjustments to keep up. Uh, with everything and to make teams the opposition really keep up with them so it's looking so far so good through the first 10 weeks let's get to Stroud in a second MVP odds but just so everybody realizes the Texans with the 29th easiest remaining schedule so that's I'm sure one of the big reasons why they've got a 60 percent chance to get in also I'm sure everybody's heard Stroud and MVP chatter this week Sean is correct, but according to DraftKings, he is just eighth on the board in NFL MVP odds, and I'm surprised he's that far down. So you might want to jump on Stroud at plus 2,500, Sean, if you want to bet on that. Above Stroud are Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Tua, Burrow, Christian McCaffrey, and Brock Purdy. Sean, there's no way McCaffrey and Purdy should be a favorite over CJ at this point. No, uh, those are weird. I didn't even notice those when I was glancing at, uh, you know, the favorites uh, yesterday. But, I mean, I get, like, the other ones, you know, why they were ahead. Look, second half of the season, maybe they turn it on, they go on a run, they play to who they've been, play to who we think they are. Um, And it's hard for anybody, even us, to expect, you know, 18 weeks of this kind of play from C.J. Stroud, even though, granted, I think they don't they arrive at the MVP vote like two weeks before the actual regular season ends or something. They do Which it makes stupid. no sense. It's like, it's, so doing the, <laughs> it's like doing the MVP baseball 130 games or 140 games into the season. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big chunk right there. It's it's horrible. You know, that's why like back in the day, I don't know when they stopped doing this in Major League Baseball since you brought it up, right, with other sports. Like you used to have two all-star games you know mid-season and after the season and you when you look at like the all-star numbers like Stan usual 27 all-star games or whatever it is it's like he didn't even play that long (laughs) how's that (laughs) possible yeah 
it, it's one of those things. I mean, look, when you talk about the passing yards, second, you know, yards per game, first, sixth best quarterback rating in the NFL, two game winning drives, the best touchdown to interception ratio in the entire league at 15 to two, third in yards per attempt, second in yards per completion. The numbers are there. And in the true sense of the word, aside from the numbers, most valuable player, what would this team look like without him? Uh, who is the most valuable to his team? C.J. Stroud, I think, is the uh, absolute clear-cut answer right now. There's no question about it. I'm not going to be disappointed if he doesn't get it. I just think it's fantastically awesome uh, that we're talking about a Houston Texans quarterback through 10 weeks in this conversation after the three years of absolute hell that we as a city had been through this organization. And that's a good lesson for life. Sometimes in life, what looks like the worst thing that could have happened ends up being the best thing. Think about this, everybody. Two and a half years ago, the only hope for the entire Texans franchise was Deshaun Watson. It looked like a joke. Bill O'Brien was a joke. Jack Easterby was a joke. You still had Deshaun, so there was still hope. But then... He has to be traded. He faced a litany of allegations. Today, Sean's gone. Deshaun's gone. He's out for the season for the Browns, and he looks like a broken-down, aging quarterback. Meanwhile, two and a half years later, you got a rookie that is not just a rookie. He's an MVP candidate rookie quarterback. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that as excited as we are, uh, you know, we talk about these guys multiple times a week, and I know the I know fans in this city are buzzing. I hope that it starts to become more visible, and we can feel it more on Sundays by packing a stadium. You know, getting back to the way things used to be when you were genuinely this excited about the organization. I wrote a piece on SportsRadio610.com. You can check out today, and I, I, I kind of. <laughs> you, you you used a really good analogy just a moment ago, and I, I kind of went this direction. You know, it's people want to call Houston fans fair weather fans. Well, I mean, I from a sports sense in the sports world, management, coaches, and players, they do all change with the fluidity of the weather <laughs> most of the time, right? But look at the stretch of poor weather that we had over the course of the last couple of weeks. The first sunny day that we get, um, are we going to sit, gripe, and grumble about the crap weather that we had for the last two weeks? Or are we going to go do everything that we wanted to do during those two weeks on that sunny day and make the most of it? And I kind of think that we need to look at this current situation with C.J. Stroud and this new era of Texans much in the same light. You know, you're going to sit and grumble and be mad about the fact that you still have the same owner. You still have a general manager that maybe you wholeheartedly don't fully trust still. doesn't matter. Look at the roster. It's 51% of it is new, and 100% of it are completely bought in and being led by a 22-year-old kid that is wise beyond his years and is playing some of the best, if not the best, football for a quarterback in the NFL right now. Go out there and enjoy it. I think it's going to be a little bit of a still a slow build, but at least in terms of eyeballs on TV sets, ears to the radio, and maybe butts in seats at some point in time, Houston Texan fans will. It's just, man, you better get in while the getting is good because these things, however long they last, they don't last forever. That's guaranteed. I want everybody in Houston to enjoy it as much as possible. Yeah, send a thank you note to Deshaun Watson. Send a thank you note to the Indianapolis Colts for beating us last year. Uh, a lot of thank you notes to go out with everybody. No thank you notes, Sean, for 
the NFL front office. Denzel Perryman suspended for repeated illegal hits three games after an appeal reduced to two games. J.J. Watt thought the suspension was ridiculous. Yeah. And Sean, he pointed out Perryman's had six illegal hits in 102 games, which is, you know, to my calculation, by bad math, that's less than one a season. Yeah, I, I was. I'm glad you mentioned J.J. Watt because I was just going to say, like, I'm I'm on his side. I thought he made some great points in the tweet uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I agree. I mean, it's uh, I think officially seven illegal hits now over the course of his eight year career. It's not like he's Draymond Green. He's not doing this as soon as he gets relieved from the suspension. I, mean, I can't wait for six games down the road and see Draymond back. By the way. Uh, but Denzel, look, that, that play that we're talking about, I just thought it was too bang-bang, and I didn't think there was anything egregious. Now, the one he was called for earlier this season, I absolutely thought uh, that he could have done something about that, and maybe that's really what we're looking at here and why the NFL decided to step in and levy a suspension. He appealed, got it reduced from three to two. We could argue about it till we're blue in the face, it does present a big-time problem for the Texans, though. And I know Denzel Perryman didn't look good in coverage this past week. They picked on him a lot. Credit to the Cincinnati Bengals and a good offensive coordinator and a very good quarterback in Joe Burrow for identifying that and continuing to go to that well. The Texans are up against it. You know, right now they've got, like, two healthy dudes at linebacker and Blake Cashman and Christian Harris. Aside from that, Jake Hansen hasn't played, hasn't practiced all week. Henry Toa Toa is still out with a concussion. They're going to have to pick the best of the bunch between Neville Hewitt, Garrett Wallow, and Corey Littleton, who's supposed to, you know, been brought in to be another veteran voice, a leader in that in that room. Heck, he hadn't found his way on the field very much, if at all, to my recollection. Are they going to have to go to nickel coverage, you think? You think they just bring in an extra I mean, safety? Look, how often are you in a uh, your base defense where you have three linebackers on the field anyway? I mean, if I'm guessing, probably 20%, and it's probably going to be even less than that this week against the Cardinals. You want to be able to have some faster guys, sideline to sideline guys, that you're going to have to battle that Cardinals uh, quarterback with who, I mean, look, he had a 45-second play. <laughs> I think it was, you know, at one point uh, a couple of seasons ago and stretched one out last weekend where he ran 50 yards to gain 10. I mean, the guy is just incredible. You're going to have to have some fast guys, some relentless guys to keep up with him. I don't know who that is. That thumper in the middle, man, I really like Neville Hewitt. You know, Blake Cashman's probably their best coverage corner at this point in time. Harris is okay. He's been really good, particularly with picking up backs and pass catchers out of the backfield. I don't know who, maybe Garrett Wallow is an option here, a practice squad elevation. It's going to be interesting to see how the week goes along, and we're probably not going to know anything definitively until, you know, right up game time uh, on noon on Sunday. Yeah, and just going back to the hypocrisy of the NFL, you tell these guys to run as hard as they can full speed. It is so easy to go, okay, slow down a half step before somebody decides to slide when you're throwing your helmet at them or when you're throwing your body at them, you're throwing your body at their waist or their chest. You're trying to make the classic NFL tackle. And what happens is the guy, the runner basically slides. And so you hit his helmet and, and you know what, there's not going to be an illegal hit according to the NFL standard charged to the defensive lineman, which was much more egregious what the Bengals defensive lineman did when there's two guys holding up C.J. Stroud and he does a helmet-to-helmet on the quarterback, a a very 
defenseless quarterback that wasn't running and out in open field. So yeah, that's just so frustrating, man. That hundred percent. It is frustrating. And look, it looks, things always look a lot worse when you see them in slow motion, but you know, that hit you're talking about, I can't remember the Bengal defenseman that did it, but boy, you could see Stroud's helmet just go up and into his face, you know, he, as he falls to the ground after that hit that you're describing. They're, they're handing out fines like, like candy. Yeah. I wanted to see that guy get fined because that that's an illegal hit. Yeah, yeah no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And look, it was, it was not the only blown call in that instance on that particular play. It was a pass. Well, it, and they called it a fumble. So, and the thing is, if you if they make that fine, it, they don't want to do it because it points to the fact that their officials screwed up during the game, which they constantly do. But you know what? It's hard to do it, and you have to admit sometimes when you're wrong. I, I want to ask you also, Sean Devin Singletary. So he wins Offensive Player of the Week. Love seeing the run game finally show up, of course, but we don't show enough love for what the O-line is doing pass blocking. Stroud's average time to throw this year, 3.04 seconds, second longest in the NFL, second longest in the NFL. The Texans, remember, they've had that garbage offensive line that couldn't, you know, block anybody. And then also Stroud's been pressured on just 36% of his dropbacks. It's ranked 15th, so middle of the pack, but still good considering considering all the different injuries and groupings that they've gone through. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, as much as you're going to credit the offensive line, and you have to absolutely do do so since, um, you know, the way that they'd started the season, allowing 19 quarterback hits and 11 sacks through the first two weeks of the season, they've been about as good as you could possibly ask for from any line in the entire NFL. But credit C.J. Stroud, too, for just being a tough, confident dude that feels the pressure. And his, you know, slightest bit of movements in the pocket, the ability to step up, not look at the rush and just fire the ball into some tight windows and hit his receivers, you know, but stride just we know about the accuracy. You got to credit him, too, for, you know, one, Slowick as well for, you know, drawing up uh, plays and having route trees break when they do the receivers to execute them. for, For Stroud to be able to get rid of the ball as quickly as he has and to just avoid having to hold on to that ball and allow the rush to to get home. I, I think it's credit, you know, top to bottom. But, you know, you started this off with the run game. You got to credit the offensive line and the run game as well. I mean, we'll see if it's a sign of things to come. I asked Devin Singletary today. Um, I asked Bobby Slowick about it today. What they were able to identify going into that Bengals game that said, we think we can have some success here. And they're not going to give away their game plan, of course, but it kind of boiled down to Slowick saying, we were excellent, just short of excellent in executing our game plan. And I wonder when you're able to put something like that, a performance like that on film, but it's that element of what are they going to do with the play action that has been so helpful. And I think that is a huge, huge key here. I think that's something Slowick has utilized more to the offense's strengths, certainly against the Bengals, but I feel like it's been the case the last two or three games. I think maybe the Texans have a little bit something to work in there in that regard. Yeah, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that CJ has the confidence to wait the three seconds because yeah. of how good the offensive line has been, especially yeah. since Laramie Tunsil 
has got back from the injury. And I, I think that's been as big a key as anything. And, you know, Lemmy Tunsil, you don't hear of his name much from us unless something goes wrong. But yeah, he's performing incredible in the past game. And that is his specialty. And that's why you're paying him the big money. And, and you know, that that wasn't a terrible trade, really, to give up two first round picks for a guy that's a, a, a left tackle that right now, what, what, what would you do without a Laramie Tunsil? You know, that, that, that Bill yeah. O'Brien trade, I, I had an issue because I think he just paid a little bit extra more than he had to, but still not a bad thing. One last quick thing, though, on the Bengals game, Sean. As I said in our post game, not a big fan of the play call when Stroud got intercepted late in the game. And Bobby Slowick addressed it in the press conference, and he agreed. He described it as the worst call of the season by him. It's fantastic. I mean, um, I give him the award for the best response to any question from the media this year to any coach. You think back to any offensive coordinator or head coach that we've had here in the city of Houston. I can't think of another guy that would be as self-deprecating in this instance, talking about himself in that way as Bobby Slowick was. I mean, we want honesty. Bobby's not been afraid to give it to you. He's very similar to C.J. Stroud. In the sense that he's very thoughtful with his responses, cares about the question, and has no problem with giving you as an honest of an answer as possible, so long as it's not going to give away what they're thinking in terms of their philosophy or game plan. You're right. He called it flat out the worst play call of the career uh, if he judged himself, and I'm paraphrasing, but... I thought it was a fantastic answer, and it's it's so true. Now, that was the first third down uh, throw that they'd made in the fourth quarter that he was talking about, the one that went for the interception. He talked about the bad position that he put C.J. Stroud in in that instance. But the second one, I can't remember who the pass was thrown to. Maybe it was Tank Dell, Tank, right? Tank. right? Deep down the right sideline, I believe it was. Yeah. You know, he said, hey, look. We, we thought that was the best play. We wanted to move the change. We saw an opportunity to do so, and we took it. Yeah, we could have run the ball, taken an extra 35, 40 seconds off the clock, but they'd still have plenty of time to do what they needed to do if that was the case. And I think the point that he's making is, hey, look, CJ over the course of the last couple of weeks has needed 46 seconds to get the job done and a minute and 33 seconds to get the job done. How well do you think? Uh, Joe Burrow is going to do with limited time if, when the ball is in his hands. He's more than capable of doing just that. So they're trying to seize an opportunity and make the best play that they think possible. And unfortunately, in that second instance, you know, it didn't work out. But ultimately, it did for the Texans on the road to win that big game. So I just appreciate that answer, man, from him. He's having fun right now. He's confident in himself. And this is not once, but this is twice now. You remember his commentary right after their week one performance against the Baltimore Ravens. I think it was three weeks down the road whenever they picked up their first win. He was asked about, hey, how far have you come? And he was like, hey, look, that week one, that was probably my worst moment. That was kind of like my uh, rock the boat moment. And he was maybe a little overwhelmed. He's been able to put the pieces together. And we've seen that from him through the play of this offense and C.J. Stroud. Quick thing from the post game. Got to make a correction on my side. I, I said Devin Singletary was the guy that made the catch late in the game and, you know, basically knocked the guy over to get out of bounds. Got to give Mike Boone the credit there. So just a mm. quick correction. Big props to Mike Boone. Tip of the hat there. Nico is back this week, but Noah Brown has not practiced. You think he's going to play Sunday? The trend has been bucked once. 
and it was last week by Steven Nelson. I don't think there's been a Texan player to show up on the injury report that has played in a game when they haven't practiced on Thursday. Steven Nelson's been the only guy to do that. Noah Brown's dealing with a knee, I believe it is, if I'm remembering the injury report correctly, and we'll get the updated version here momentarily for people. But I I don't know. It, it's hard because you go back and you look and you, you see that Nothing really st- stood out to me as like, man, that's where Noah got it. You know, what's going on? Look, guys are all banged up. I mean, you're banged up after the first game and you're never 100% again. You know, the bye week doesn't do that many miraculous things for you, especially as early as the Texans had theirs this year around week five or so, whatever it was. So I don't know. But the best part about it is if Noah Brown can't go, they presumably are going to have Nico Collins back. Got some good video of him yesterday going through one-on-ones, individual drills, and it looked to me like if you were going to call that anything less than 100%, I'd be shocked. The dude looked like he was absolute full go, going as hard as he possibly could, breaking in and out of routes. He looked really, really good. Didn't look like his calf injury is going to be much of an issue at all, at least at this point in time in the week. Look at what the Texans have done over the course of the last month. They've done it without Robert Woods a couple of times. They've done it without Nico Collins. They've done it with Noah Brown. They've all of a sudden over the course of the last two, three weeks, infused a heavy dose of Tank Dell back into the offense. I mean, look at the target rate that he's had the last couple of weeks alone, 14 targets against the Bengals. Um, in in Slowick's offense, pl- offensive play calling, I trust at this point in time, I feel like no matter who they've got, it's kind of plug and play at this point. They've talked about how good they feel about this receiver room since day one, and it showed out a lot in a big way over the course of the last month. So, yeah, look, you're going to miss one of the most productive wide receivers in the entire league the last two weeks to the tune of 325 yards and 13 catches in Noah Brown, but – Hey, Nico Collins is pretty good, too, when he's healthy this year. You worried about a letdown after two emotional games and then the Jacksonville game coming up? I think it's natural, too, right? Uh, but not just because, like, hey, it's a crappy Arizona Cardinals team and in the way that you described it. It's because the Arizona Cardinals, since game one, they've played opponents pretty close. You know, they've gotten their butts handed to them a couple times, too. But they've played, I think it is four four games, you know, that have been decided by seven points or less. Look, they're players. They want to play. They want to try to win as well. They've got coaches and players, you know, trying to earn a paycheck and a look for the next year, the new contract, the whole thing. So they've got Kyler Murray back, a dangerous quarterback, and maybe the most dangerous in terms of mobility the Texans will face this year. And, hell, he's the freshest. Uh, maybe they'll have faced all season, aside from Lamar Jackson and Anthony Richardson, who you'd faced the first couple of weeks, and you saw how they carved you up in those games. I think the Texans will be better prepared uh, for having faced mobile quarterbacks like that already this season, both offensively and defensively. They've shown the ability to, you know, go back, look, make adjustments, as C.J. Stroud says it himself, you know, bank those mistakes and, and try not to make those same mistakes twice. So, Personally, I don't worry about it in that sense. I just worry about it in the sense that, hey, look, the way that the Texans played teams at times last year, I think there was six, seven ball games in which they've lost that were decided by a touchdown or less. Um, And as bad as they were last year, bad teams can find their ways in football games with opportunities late. That's what I worry about. What have we talked about even over the course of the last two weeks, Robert, with the success that the Texans have had? 
they've shot themselves in the foot in the midst of these games and it's what cj stroud has done and they've had the opportunity to control their own destiny two weeks in a row well you've got to give yourself that same opportunity to control your own destiny without shooting yourself in a foot against a lesser football team and that that's simply the key take care of the football Let's move to the Strohs, who hired Estrada as their new manager. Sean, a week ago, I said, I didn't care about the rumors about Dana Brown wanting Estrada and Jim Crane wanting a big name. This is why I didn't care. I didn't fully believe him. Yeah, you know, there was various reports that come out, and I'm always skeptical of those, especially when they contradict each other. You never know who so-and-so is talking to or, you know, who the source is. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it was the right decision. It was the logical decision. And we never really know, but something is very convincing when you have a guy as qualified as Joe Espada, whom multiple teams over the course of the last two, three off seasons have sought out to talk to, to take over their job. Okay. Being in consideration and not getting it doesn't mean you're not worth a damn. It means you'd been considered And you've been put up against some of the very best that ended up getting said job. Hell, I think one of the jobs that he interviewed four years ago, he lost to Terry Francona. He's a great baseball mind, and there's a lot to be said to being a major part of what has turned this wheel in Houston under A.J. Hinch, under Dusty Baker. And the players clearly, you know, love him, respect him from a human standpoint, but, you know, from a baseball standpoint and the way he approaches the game with the professionalism and the ideology. I mean, one of my favorite things from Espada's introductory press conference the other day was uh, somebody asking him about that decision. You know, after Dusty Baker had gotten tossed a decision, multiple decisions to, you know, pinch hit Singleton in that instance and, you know, that whole thing. I I loved him being very honest, saying, hey, that's something that I was going to suggest to Dusty. And then, hey, he gets, you know, put out of the game and he decided, like, you know what, this is probably the best decision to make. Let's see what what rolls. Hey, Jose Altuve at times makes certain decisions like that very, very easy when you know there's a possibility that, hey, this works out and you get that dude up to the plate, good things can happen. I I just, I I like his honesty. Uh, I like his loyalty. And I think it was, um, you know, one of the few times in sports where loyalty and just logic kind of meet in a perfect storm. And I'm glad he's going to be here. Hold on. There's a word that Dana Brown used. He said, humble. And I took note of that because I felt like maybe that was a little bit of a dichotomy with Dusty Baker, because remember when Dusty Baker was questioned, you know, he didn't like, well, it wasn't, he didn't like being, he hated being questioned. And I think you have to at least, you know, be a little bit more humble in in being questioned. And maybe that was the same way he reacted to Dana Brown that he reacted to Chandler Chandler Rome. Just, just quick observation. I don't know. It could be nothing to what he said, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, maybe You, you, you never really know. The thing that made me think the most about the relationship between Dusty and uh, Dana Brown is in Dusty's goodbye press conference, Dana Brown is sitting directly to the left of Dusty Baker. I don't know what the impetus of the question was, but Dana Brown had said something to the effect, and I'll paraphrase, and that, man, I grew up watching you and how much you meant to me as a kid. Like that relationship that has developed 
from eyeball to TV screen or button seat and watching one of your favorite managers or players do what they do on a field is just as a fan. That was birthed many years ago between Dana Brown and Dusty Baker. And for Brown to have the opportunity to finally work with a guy that he looked up to, respected, you know, was a fan of, it's really difficult to believe, you know, that there would be so much maybe dishonesty or tension or uh, I'm not saying dishonesty. I just, thing, I, I just feel like Dusty was about, Hey, I've watched this longer than you guys. I know. And his answers didn't always rarely, I'm going to say rarely his answers were about, Oh, there's this logic and going through like what he was thinking. A lot of times it was just like, you know, it, it was, or, let me put it this way. There was some bad logic when Dusty would, would answer some of the, uh, that's my point, but yeah, uh, I mean, you know. you're not the only one that thinks that. And, you know, I'd probably thought that multiple times over the course of the last four years myself. I mean, and and Dana has said as much as, you know, there, you, he threw in hints that, that yeah. maybe him and Dusty disagree. So, yeah, but just, you know what? You can disagree all you want to, and that's fine. I mean, we all know there's a healthy level of disagreement. It can, it can be a good thing. But it doesn't have to be a good thing. Sometimes guys just flat out disagree. It doesn't mean one thing or another. It's just a disagreement. You yeah, keep in mind, too, Dusty Baker had been doing this for 60-some-odd years and having to answer these questions. And you do reach a level of, you know what? I'm tired of this. Like, I'm tired. I want to go home, and I want to watch my – you know, two and three year old, you know, grandbabies grow up and I don't want to have to deal with this crap anymore. I've been doing it for six decades. I'm no, going to my home. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand why Dusty wanted to leave. I understand why he didn't want to put up with it anymore. I also understand at the same point, this baseball, you know, if you don't like people disagreeing with you about your decisions as a baseball manager, you're probably, you got the wrong job. And so, I, and, and Dusty might have realized, hey, maybe I don't like that anymore. Yeah. And there's all these other reasonings for it. And I, my only point was that he used the word humble. And that was the specific word that he used. And it was something that I thought about because I was not sure that Dusty was always willing to listen to Dana on some decisions. And maybe that was a little frustrating to him. And maybe there was yeah. more stuff going on behind this. We might find out one of these days. I, just real quick, the last thing I got to bring up is Altuve and Bregman, their future, Sean. Again, I'm going to toot my own horn on this because I said on here at least one time, if not more, I see the Astros much more likely to re-sign Altuve than Bregman. I figured Altuve would need a shorter contract at age 34. I thought they were going to re-sign him. I didn't see them re-signing Bregman because he wanted a long-term deal. He's going to be just 30 years old when this new contract starts in April. And at least six or seven years would probably be it. We know Jim Crane's history. Jim Crane doesn't do that. And I think that's the right decision, even though Bregman would be a huge loss. Be a huge loss. Um, I saw what you tweeted the other day. You know far more about the personal situation than I do. I didn't know he was building a house in Arizona. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. Uh, maybe he just likes it for an off-season spot. No clue. I just tell you this. If it was me making the decision, I'm re-signing Altuve. I'm re-signing Bregman, guaranteed, and no qualms about it. At least I'm making the attempt to do so. Unless, you know, much brighter baseball minds than mine have uh, a plan down the road to replace 
uh, a Bregman, uh, get a return on their investment now. What am I doing it for? A 30-year-old Alex Bregman? I mean, he's not going to get a 10-year deal. I think a 10-year deal is stupid. I think a nine, I think an eight-year deal is stupid. But I do think the Astros should make him an offer that would compete with the average annual value that he could garner. They didn't do it with George Springer. Their, their philosophy and their take is it's more often than not, the odds are guys in their 30s don't age well. And like I said, I think it would be closer to a six or seven year deal. Mm-hmm. And I Jim agree. Crane doesn't have the stomach for that for a guy that's just about to well, turn 30. And Alex Bregman, let me remind everybody, he does get, he has been injured a lot over the last few sure. years too. Yeah, yeah. You know, look, so is Jose Altuve. I don't think that's going to stop them from extending him and giving him fair market value per but, year. But it's not, it's not going to be six or seven years for Altuve. That's well, the no. difference. No, yeah. you're right. I mean, you're not going to give a 34-year-old a seven-year deal. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, that, that's but, the difference, but, though. Well, another big difference should be in the way that your general manager has spoken since day one that he took the job. I think it was literally hours after he was named general manager, he was talking about Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman needing to be Astros for life. I think in you know some point over the course of the last six, seven, eight months that he's had the job, He's talked about this at some point in time where, yeah, you know, maybe Jim Crane's not going to be flexible with the idea of a 10-year contract, but maybe I, and I'm paraphrasing, maybe I could get him to bend a little bit. And I think we all at the time took that to mean, well, okay, if not 10, then maybe something in the eight range, six, seven, eight range, like you're talking about. And I think that idea has to be something that Jim Crane's open to, particularly with a player like Alex Bregman. Sure, he's got an injury history, but you know what? He's got a winner history ever since you know high school. The guy's done nothing but freaking win and show up and give you everything that the guy could possibly give you. What else could you possibly want? And how else could you possibly do better than that? Over the course of the next couple of years, the market changes. I don't know who's out there, who's available, who's gettable, whatever. But you got one guy in-house already that I put all my eggs in the basket with uh, for the next six years at least. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how he ages and all that because that's going to be interesting to follow. The Rockets, I'll just close with this. They ended their seven-game homestand. They started a three-game road trip. They get a struggling Clippers team. Thank you, James Harden. (laughs) They get an always banged up Lakers team with Anthony Davis, usually a question mark every single game. Uh, They finish with Golden State, who won't have Steph Curry or Draymond as, according to that suspension that you mentioned earlier. And when they come back home, they get the Grizz, who are a train wreck and still don't have the suspended Ja Morant. So just remember, I don't know if the Rockets – can keep this up but there's a chance they've got a chance there's teams that are vulnerable coming up on the schedule oh they're vulnerable you did a great job of breaking down exactly the reasons why but you know hey look the rockets um you know to me did something that look they're a very young team there's no question about it but they did something that a uh, veteran squad does they took advantage of a little home cooking you know um, 
And now there's a test, and it's maybe the toughest test a young team like this could face, particularly at this point in time, is making that West Coast swing, taking on the two L.A. teams and a very difficult, always difficult Warriors squad. Um, they've all got their blemishes and injuries and things that they're dealing with. Um, obviously, the Clippers with James Harden. But it's going to be tough, no question. Can they keep it up? It shouldn't be expected. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to go in there and compete and give themselves an opportunity to win in the fourth quarter. you already seen what they could do. Hell, they blew the brakes off the Lakers here uh, in Toyota Center. Do I expect them to go to L.A.? and make easy work of a Clippers team? No, not easy work. Um, but are they playing better basketball than them right now? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, over the next three games, man, I if, if they finished one and two, I wouldn't be surprised. If they finished, you know, two and one, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, if they finished three and oh, the next three, <laughs> that would be pretty damn special. Don't forget, live, post-game, Sunday, as always, uh, Sean is going to the locker room after the game. So we're assuming roughly around 4.30 is when we'll do that. So he'll have some, you know, react, he'll react to their reaction after this game on Sunday. That That's going to be the story the next three weeks with uh, the Texans at home. So continue the live post games, but it usually takes about an hour, hour and a half after the game before uh, Sean can get to us. But uh, look forward to that. Look forward to more Rockets games this weekend. It should be fun. We'll talk to you again on Sunday. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Touchdown!